You are listening to Oblivion. It is September 18th, 2023. Um, David, what do you want to start with? We've got the good news and the bad news. You mean there's actually some good news? <laughs> well, I guess sort of. Uh, the UAW struck. I mean, that's uh, both has both good and bad news in it. Um, of course, you would hope that the... Uh, uh, labor would be so powerful that the um, <clears throat> they wouldn't have to strike because the uh, the companies would just uh, concede uh, all points and uh, um, all. You important. can't have cars if you don't have car makers. <laughs> That's right, and um, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't even know the details, and I, and you can tell me if in the coverage that you've seen uh, through the mainstream media. What um, um, you know, what what they're um, teaching you about it? Uh, they're probably not telling you about. Uh, uh, there's kind of been a work around the unions by hiring temp workers to come in, and uh, you know they work them real hard. They don't. They're not part of the union. They don't have um, uh, you know the same wages or, or protections. Um, basically, none. And uh, so this has kind of been this workaround to undermine the the union. They get some uh, out of work actors to come to the. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and actors it, are on strike, so I'll go make cars. For... <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, you would be a, if you're not uh, solidarity would require you not to do that. Of course, if you're a SAC member, right? Um, right. You, you shouldn't be crossing any picket line, motherfucker. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, so, I mean, there's also just the um, uh, fact that um, pay raises have been very slight, even though we've got record uh, profits uh, going on. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and the, just the continuing is they as much as they can, they outsource to other countries. Um, uh, uh, if if they could, they would get rid of uh, the the entire U.S. workforce. Um, but uh, they do have to have a certain infrastructure to. <laughs> uh, it's just not uh, um, viable to do it completely that way. So they don't do it that way. But people they, can't drive on roads in China to go buy cars <laughs> in America. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, and at the same time, we've got the. Um, you know, we're cutting ourselves. Speaking of China, we're cutting ourselves off from that market by you know making them the enemy. Um, and um, if we'd really wanted, we could have, uh, if we had gotten our own uh, infrastructure going for uh, electric vehicles, um, you know, we could have gone in there and and used that as a market and uh, help them develop or or whatnot, and at the same time help us. Uh, be more energy um, uh, efficient, independent, independent and uh, just uh, um, environmentally improving. Uh, and uh, But instead, we're just lagging and moping along on that issue. And um, that's apparently part of the strike as well is um, the new uh, EV cars. Uh, you know, of course, the, the bosses are are taking the windfalls out of that new um, industry, 
and uh, trying to undercut the um, the unions that way as well. So uh, in, in a similar sense, there's the AI argument with the SAC people. It's this high technology threats where they're trying to use technology to got a big helicopter coming over. Can you hear that in the background? Yeah, I can. Jesus. I've got all the windows and doors closed, man. Well, it was good knowing you, David. <laughs> Are they going to bomb you or just have you uh, disappear? <laughs> well, I mean, both happened yeah, at the I'm same... Sorry, have you suicided? <laughs> yeah, both happened at the same time. The helicopter <laughs> made faithfully by... Yeah, from other countries. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but in terms of the uh, the media coverage, it it really focuses on the hierarchy. It focuses on Biden and how is Biden going to handle it, and it's kind of a hard call for him because he's got uh, <laughs> fresh off of he, break, breaking the railroad strike. <laughs> right. He's, I mean, he he wants to appear to be. Uh, friendly to to workers and that he agrees with the right of workers to strike i mean he can't be just a total hardcore uh tyrant or he can't appear to be anyway and yet at the same time he knows from the uh economic repercussions that a strike uh is going to be bad of course that's the whole point of the strike like the workers are getting screwed and so the only thing left with is to let everybody else know this is what it's like uh, i did see actually a piece last night saying how the um the the fallout effect for example of local restaurants and a good bit of the business that they do is the auto workers when they're on break or when they're done working, they come in there and um, and spend money, get something to eat. And so if they're on strike and they're not there working, they're not going to be coming in to uh, the local restaurant to um, to get anything to eat. They're not going to be there spending money. And so what's that going to do? That means that the restaurant owners don't have as much cash. And then that means that they spend less. And so the other locals that were the restaurant employees and the owners would be going to spend their money, uh, and then they suffer. Uh, but certainly, I'm sure there comes as no surprise, there hasn't been any uh, consistent and, and clear uh, on... Uh, the record profits that the auto companies are are making and uh, how much their profits have continued to uh, increase over the decades compared to the stagnation of, of wages. For example, uh, what is the uh, average salary of the CEO of an auto company? We we don't get that information, right? right What's right. the average uh, salary of, uh, or they even are on on salary for many of them. I'm sure it's just uh, hourly wages. 
of an auto worker. Uh, <clears throat> and then the other thing is just who, whose voice do, do you hear? And um, I mean, you have your token uh, like six seconds of the, the president of the UAW or the leader of the union. And you might hear from a couple of other workers, but you're really cut off from that perspective. Um, and undeniably, there isn't any pro-labor point of view anywhere. And our historical, inclusive, diverse culture of, of politics and media, where we want to hear from all these different viewpoints, you know, we, we can't just hear from privileged white men, we've got to hear from all these other people. Oh, so that means that we want to hear from communists and leftists and workers, right? Well, no. I mean, it's the, it's the same elite person, but we want to diversify. <laughs> what's what's the uh, oxymoronic term that I'm, I'm looking for? <laughs> um, monolithic diversity. How, how's that? <laughs> nice. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how long that goes. Um, uh, I, I mean, we want diversity from the one viewpoint that we always hear from, which is the elites. Yeah, so I, I really um, wonder um, as far as how long um, people can hold up, uh, you know, striking it um, if they're going to break them, and uh, that's what they're want to do of course they'll hold off as as long as they need to um and uh, of course because they've got the money yeah they've they got the, the money and of course the strikers aren't getting any money except for um what they're getting as part of the union which you know can never you know uh compared to what they get usually not well, too the much American people can get riled up and pissed off because the, whatever money that they're getting is probably going to be coming from the taxpayer in, in one way or another. Like they'll, uh, I don't know. Um, well, I guess if you're on strike, you can't apply for unemployment. Yeah, I guess, I guess not, you know, so it's up to the strike fund to, uh, to help people out. And, um, you know, uh, of course there's most families have, uh, you know, two wage earners and, uh, uh, so maybe one of them isn't uh, working at the Ford plant. Um, so that could, uh, you could survive partially with that, um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, they, uh, the big companies, of course, they have all the money in the world and, and definitely none, nothing's being uh, deleted out of the executives. Uh, you know, the executives are getting paid. Um, they'll probably get bonuses for, for uh, breaking the strike, you know, so... Uh, yeah, right. They, they've they've got a lot of incentive to uh, stop the. Uh, Instead of paying the workers more, they'll just pay the the great job that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they're worth every penny, man. I'm telling you. Well, I was gonna say that it, it does seem that there's uh, there is some momentum with uh, with labor. I mean, we're seeing the, the strike yeah. from the SAG-AFTRA and the strike from the uh, UAW. And uh, so I think that that, along with 
the emergence of uh, some leftist uh, governments in South America uh, is maybe encouraging that, that there's some uh, leftist uh, shift going on. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, there's, um, you know, it's, it's problematic in some sense and that I think that um, the slow uh, um, drawback technique, uh, austerity that's occurred since especially uh, Reagan. 2008. Uh, well, uh, I'm talking about the OG, like the the Reagan Revolution, where it was, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, that, that was that was <laughs> that was when like Roger and me, you know, uh, Michael Moore's thing uh, came out there in the 80s. Uh, it was just before that, but you know, the the whole Roger and me uh, uh, angle was that it was uh, GM was, had closed up. Um, you know, the, the, uh, factories in Flint and sent them to Mexico and, uh, what had, uh, just recently been, uh, probably even 10 years, 15 years before had been the wealthiest, uh, zip code in the U S, um, was, uh, now just, uh, you know, struggling hard full of, uh, um, um, you know, um, uh, How's that for uh, making America great? Or yeah, yeah. Making America America first. And so you know that's when the real rust started occurring. The Rust Belt, uh, uh, that whole Ohio uh, northern uh, manufacturing area was, uh, you know, they started shifting, uh, you know, if not out of state, out of country, um, and uh, the American public is just. Uh, because there's no solidarity. Oh, I don't know if they loved it, but I, my point is it's been a slow slow decline, so it's like the populace has gotten used to this, um, you know, uh, you're at the border of precarity. You might uh, uh, somehow get a good job or might get be good at making money, and you might succeed somewhat, might not. Uh, but there's this... Uh, uh, used to a, a situation where when people are and there's no organ you know no organized uh, left or organized labor um, you know when these things happen uh, people don't know how to be part of it right I mean it's uh, you might think it's cool here in uh, uh, Springfield Kentucky in the town and uh, and and speaking of that there's actually one of the bigger employers uh, is a parts making, uh, uh, I think Toyota or Japanese owned uh, parts place is one of the, um, uh, of course it's um, non-union, surprise, surprise. Um, and uh, I mean, you can make fairly good wages there, um, relatively speaking, um, um, than other possible jobs, which there aren't very many. Uh, so this is kind of spread throughout the country that people are sort of used to this um, situation, you know, it, especially out in these rural areas. It pays the bill okay if you've got a family to work at a place like that. And, um, <clears throat> uh, so, but there, on the other hand, there's the 
the situation where the you know cost of living is going up just for you know housing um it's gone through the roof pretty much everywhere but especially in the cities um and you've got the inflation that's been uh very high uh historically speaking so that makes everybody's money less worth it and uh, you know do you think you're getting a six percent raise uh across the country i don't think right so. when the inflation goes up right so uh uh, that's, uh, you know, at some point you would think, uh, you know, there'll be a breaking point, but, uh, uh, maybe people, no, just, maybe people just love being slaves. I don't know, man. Uh, I would hate to think it. If, if I, uh, if I lose both legs, it's worth it to see you lose one. <laughs> I, I look at it. Uh, I mean, I think everything that you said is, uh, is accurate. And uh, I think that it is uh, kind of a disturbing possibility that people really do like being slaves and that that might explain the propensity of people to live in la-la land, right? That their obsession with entertainment and not paying attention to anything that's going on and living in this fantasy where they're going to be rich any day now and everything's going to work out for them. The, uh, like the pandemic isn't real, but the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq are real. That this, uh, this propensity to live in La La Land is a, um, a defense mechanism that people don't want to face that they are slaves. And that's the whole virtue of uh, introspection, or as Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. That wouldn't it be better to actually realize that you are in fact a slave. And then you can say, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. And then maybe your life would actually really be good and you wouldn't have to live in La La Land and you wouldn't have to be in just uh, perpetual denial of reality because then you have the ability to make reality the way that you want it to be. And why shouldn't it be the way that you want it to be? It's your life. You exist. Why do you need these other people to tell you uh, what reality is and, and, and what it has to be? But I also think that you have to look at it from a use it or lose it perspective. That once a culture stops the practice of organizing and people stop standing up for themselves, uh, I would go back to the counterculture, right, is the last time this really happened where it's like, I'm not going to let these other people tell me what's going on. Yeah, as a hippie, as a hippie from the 60s, man, I just didn't fuck enough birds, dude. You know, I, I didn't use it enough, and now I've lost it, man. But, I mean, we're, you, you, uh, it was astute to, to mention the OG Reagan Revolution. And think about it. I mean, 50 years go by and there's no rebellion. There's no organization. There's no 
focus on on reality you can't just suddenly turn turn it on right you can't turn it off and turn it back on again use it or lose it use it or lose it um yeah so um let's uh do something more titillating before we uh talk about the floods in libya um and uh really get depressing uh, but, uh, yeah, let's talk about Lauren Boebert. Yeah, the hottie in the theater. She's like... The, the, the groping. Gra- <laughs> groping, smoking indecent. the vape, vaping real vaping. hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, um, you know, um, we we can get into the details of who Lauren Boebert is, Boebert is and... Uh, Etc. But it was like one thing that creeped me out was it's like, so they have like fucking surveillance on you all the time at these fucking theaters, man. I mean, it's like, and is there like some dude like watching, you know, everybody make sure they're behaving properly? That, that's kind of creeped me out. But uh, setting that aside, it did. Hey, at least we don't live in China. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, at least we got some titillating uh, uh, groping action, uh, you know. Uh, Bobert was had some sexy uh, sh- uh, blouse on that uh, looked like they were about ready to pop out, and uh, and the man there is like over giving her a good uh, swishy swish on those boobies, and a little little a uh, little bit of uh, uh, thigh groping uh, with Bobert, at least the one I saw. So it's kind of, it, it's really hypocrisy <laughs> on multiple levels. Like like of course. Um, uh, yeah. Bobert is that is that how you say her name? I, I think so. Yeah. Bobert's being a hypocrite because she's this uh, staunch conservative and uh, uh, parrots the Republican line about morals and and values and all that. And you know, here she is uh, basically being a, a vaping loudmouth slut. And yet, the, the hypocrisy <laughs> also goes in the other direction. I mean, what kind of people, like, who cares? And who cares if she wants to, to vape? And who cares if, if uh, people, uh, a couple is uh, doing some uh, PDA? Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> why is it a big deal? I mean, I, I agree. Well, I, I, think it, I think it probably was mostly, like, just really bellowing clouds of vape, uh, was uh, occurring and that's probably what was the main thing because uh, uh, at least uh, maybe they weren't showing me the uh, the best juiciest stuff with the groping but the groping seemed pretty isolated to the you know perfectly within bounds you know there was, she didn't pull the cock out uh, you know I didn't see the I didn't see the uh, nipple you know the uh, the boob being uh, popped out of there and <laughs> little little twirly Twirly action on the nipple, you know, if only. But, uh, yeah, that part probably wasn't the... We can live with uh, <laughs> 19, 10-year-olds getting shot and bleeding to death at school. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't get the details. Was she also, like, being a loudmouth and, like, talking during the well, thing? Well, she was so? singing. Uh, it's the musical, the oh, Beetlejuice She was musical. singing along so with she it? she was singing along with the... And you're well, not really supposed to do that. Really? Oh. I mean, honestly, that is, of all things, <laughs> in terms of going to see a musical, yeah. that I can actually uh, understand really, really. why you would be pissed off because mm. 
you're going to see a musical, you want to hear the people mm-hmm. on stage sing. You right. do not want to hear mm-hmm. the people around you singing, right? Because that mm-hmm. means you can't hear the people on stage, and probably the people in your immediate area don't sing as well. And so you're see. listening right. to this off-key, mm-hmm. yeah, not-so-great right. singing, and it's yeah. interfering, and so you're really being deprived from the show. Right, right. I do not understand the problem with with vaping i mean yeah vaping really as far as everyone is concerned i think has to be one of the greatest inventions of all time because that doesn't force the the smoker to go through withdrawal Hmm. they don't have to constantly go outside Mm -hmm. so they can smoke their nicotine joint out in the back alley um is right. There, well, it's it's part of the, the it's part of the sort of cultural um, uh, compromise, I guess, that happened with uh, this was in Colorado, right? So the va- vaping of cannabis uh, is a thing that's still not allowed in public, right? So this public space that would be the kind of the argument is not only you know, both of them you've got to. But it's can't totally do. stupid. I mean, well, I, I, I agree the, with you. you. I don't. You I don't can't vape. A cannabis yeah. in, in public, you can't smell it. Sure. Like, well, what's that, the problem. The, well, you you, you kind of can. Like those uh, flavored ones are pretty strong smelling, and the clouds but are. Those pr- are the pr- nicotine vapes that are flavored. No, well, they do the the other two, but anyway, uh, and, you know, um, yeah, and and there's i would on the being the other side i would say that there is some secondhand smoke or vape uh issue there uh that um i mean always secondhand smoke has been a a real issue um as a public place you don't want to have to be exposed to somebody else's uh smoking um so there's that argument and and really it's not that fucking hard for you to like wait a little bit right uh for you to like get your fix on whatever it is and just not do it there in the common space uh that seems to be sort of same as not singing out you know you're not invading other people's uh, uh right you're you're actually acknowledging that the place is for other people and it's not just for you right right yeah so uh, uh, i th- think that's how i would um frame it rather than being which, which is, I, I think, is definitely the case. There is a certain contingent of the people uh, that looked at her um, behavior as being, um, uh, you know, against the rules rather than being uh, um, rude, um, um, you know, that kind of thing. Being moralistic about it uh, rather than looking at it as a common common, practical practical and common decency sort of frame um well we'll we'll be uh spared from that secondhand uh vapor (laughs) when all of the radiation from the nuclear uh, war that we're going to have with uh russia that's a topic that i just uh came across uh, in the wee hours last oh, we're, night. So we're going to like be uh, vaping nuclear uh, material now? Is that uh, going to be the latest thing to, w- to win the war? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Biden, Biden's going to outfit Zelensky with $100 billion worth of uh, nuclear vaping liquid. <laughs> 
We're gonna second hand. We're gonna second hand nuclear. Hardcore, belligerent Lauren Boebert <laughs> over to Moscow to really teach him how it's done. Special forces, and she's gonna she's gonna exhale all this nuclear uh, uh, vapor, and it's it's gonna it'll kill all of the uh, bad Russians. Yeah, that's um, that, that's will have to be her punishment. That she'll have to like be on the front lines. Uh, but, but speaking of of uh, marginalized voices, the Finnish Prime Minister yesterday was voicing concerns about escalating the uh, Russian-Ukraine war, and uh, was also warning about uh, the possibility of of nuclear war. Uh, I I think I uh, would have emailed this uh, article to you, but uh, the Finnish prime minister used to be Sana Marin, and she was basically, uh, what's the word, uh, phased out because of too youthful, I think also too sexy and charismatic and uh she liked to party and there were some videos of her having a good time with friends and people didn't like that and she just give you an idea of just how uh, backward humanity is it's in the overall state of the darkness in which humanity lives because we're talking about finland which is a pretty enlightened place in in a lot of ways i mean they're always scoring uh in the top three in terms of quality of life happiness education healthcare, and all this so uh there's a high level of trust among people and among the institutions so oh i didn't i didn't know that that woman is out of office yeah so they basically uh she lost and then they basically got her out of politics and now she's living in london and she's part of some think tank that ponders how to deal with the world's problems which is basically a way of telling her like you don't get to be a leader anymore we're gonna pay you to get out of the country and just you know sit well, around and th- then again think about then stuff. again a lot of these think tanks are are just uh, very cushy uh influence um, shops, uh, political shops. Right. So, you know, is, is she part of the uh, a neo lib think tank? You know, probably. You know, so it's a uh, right. you know uh, the <clears throat> rather. Um, but there's now a um, a new yeah. So so uh, the yeah I was looking at this. Finland's Patria urges government help in Ukraine defense deals. Uh, it would be extremely risky for Finland's. Petria to sell its armored vehicles or license their production to Ukraine without government help, its CEO said, urging Helsinki and other European nations to do Helsinki and other European nations to do more to facilitate deals with Kiev. Okay, so yeah, it's like this. No, nobody's doing enough over there, right? So it's like you sent me another link to somebody that was criticizing. It's uh, you know, Germany just doesn't have the heart. You know, they're just not getting in there and and sacrificing to win. You know, even though they're p- pretty hardcore uh, about the whole situation. I guess it's because they're just not flooding everything that they can into 
uh, into Ukraine. Well, I actually that, think that, that Europe, I mean, the, the continent that had World War II fought on it, I think Europe is, um, if for no other reason, by default, wiser about the situation than the United States. Right. And they, they have some understanding of this could all go really, really bad. And, and really, this isn't the way to handle this uh, situation. I have never heard of a, a situation where you you think that a side can win a war without being able to fight the war as aggressively as the enemy. Right. And that's the situation with the United States and NATO backing Ukraine. Right. They can only give Ukraine so much. They're talking about these um, ATMACS type of missiles that Biden's been hesitating to send to Ukraine. And of course, Zelensky saying we have to have them. And one of the concerns is, is that if, if these missiles are, are uh, used not just simply in Ukrainian territory, right, to attack Russian occupiers, but if they go into Russia, that basically is uh, e- escalating the war. That means that, that the United States has attacked Russia, right? And I, I just don't understand... Uh, why there isn't uh, more concern over this and that it's not taken seriously, that this is definitely something that we do not want to have happen. But uh, I I wish I could remember the exact adjective that the, um, that the, the new Finnish prime minister used about the possibility of, of, of nuclear war, but but he said that it was uh, significant. Right. That if we continue to. In other words, here's the situation. The Ukraine has to fight with one hand tied behind its back and the United States and and NATO have to be measured in terms of how much they can give Ukraine and the way that Ukraine can use the weapons that it's given. Russia doesn't have these constraints. Right. Russia invaded Ukraine. Right. And they are the aggressor. Russia is the aggressor. And Russia isn't held back in terms of what kind of uh, weapons that Russia can use against Ukraine. So that right there tells you one side can can fight all out. The other side can uh, only fight in in a constrained, restricted way. Then the other scenario is the United States, NATO, and Ukraine escalate the war. They say we're going to use um, more uh, powerful weapons, weapons that are more destructive, right? And that's how we're going to push Russia out of Ukraine. But by doing that, you escalate the war, and now you're running the risk of, of nuclear war. Now, up until the Finnish prime minister uh, made his comments about the significant threat of, of nuclear war, it had really only been uh, Medvedev 
who was a, a former uh, high-ranking uh, Kremlin uh, official who was saying, you know, Putin may very well use nuclear weapons if he can't win the war conventionally. And so in terms of marginalized voices, the, the threat of nuclear war is something that we rarely hear about, which is just unbelievable that this is not a concern, that this wouldn't even enter into the calculus of the way people appraise the situation in Ukraine, right? And that there also isn't uh, any consistent discussion of, of the problematic situation that I just described, which is I cannot think of an example in, uh, from history where you have two sides fighting a war, one side can fight all out and the other side can only fight in a, in a, in a restricted, cautious, measured way. And all of these uh, liberal warmongers love to point out the example of World War II, right? Because they're so much smarter than the rest of us. And, you know, liberals are smart. And the rest of us aren't. Um, that in World War II, the the uh, European nations allowed Hitler to to take Czechoslovakia and then to take part of Austria. And they said, okay, that's okay. You can have this. Oh, that's okay. You can have this. And then uh, it just kept uh, going until Hitler invaded Poland. And then we had to have World War II instead of just shutting uh, Hitler and Germany down as soon as they began to build their uh, military and they showed their first signs of aggression, right? But then we are ignoring the other facts and lessons from World War II. So the first fact that has to be pointed out is, well, how was World War II resolved? Well, the Allies had to invade Germany, right? That was the big slog after D-Day 1944 going into the first half of 1945 that America and the allies had to go into Germany they had to go into every single German town and and have a battle against the Germans who were entrenched there and were not going to surrender right and then finally after fighting all these battles for basically a year, I mean, D-Day is June 6, 1944, and the uh, Victory in Europe Day does not happen until May 1945. So that's 11 months, right, of actually getting into the European mainland and advancing into the enemy nation, Germany, which is precisely what Ukraine, the United States, and NATO cannot do in this war. Are you are you following me? Like yeah, we yeah. can't go into Russia, march all the way into Moscow, and surround the Kremlin, yeah. right, and <clears throat> force Putin to surrender, right, right. and then capture him as a prisoner of war, or yeah. Yeah. wait outside like as Hitler did. And Putin kills himself. <laughs> yeah. In his bunker under the Kremlin. So, 
<laughs> if you're, if, I mean, am I am I making sense here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. That's yeah. Okay, but we'll, we'll only well, talk and, about. And I've been pointing out from kind of the beginning the first uh, language that was coming from uh, Biden in regards to Ukraine was that you know that uh, talking about the Eastern Front being the war. You know, uh, uh, you know, the Eastern Front was. Uh, where the Ukraine war was going on. So he was definitely in that mindset from the beginning, right? Uh, that uh, we were going to just sweep through there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That the Eastern Front, meaning the, the Eastern part of Ukraine that's right. been occupied by Russia. Yeah. And that uh, the fighting there was part of the Eastern Front of NATO, uh, basically, was what his comment was there early on. I was just noticing that uh, Zelensky was on 60 Minutes uh, this last. Uh, Sunday, um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, guess what? The uh, uh, well, the main thing he apparently talked about was uh, you know, a warning uh, to the Russians that not to attack their um, their power plants, and uh, you know, there was an allegation that. Uh, if you cut off our power, deprive us of electricity, deprive us of the water, deprive us of gasoline, you need to know we have the right to do it. I mean, attack them in Russia. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the big question uh, I have is uh, how much of the uh, destruction uh, of the infrastructure was by Russia and what percentage of it was by uh, the Ukraine forces, which basically are treating these Russian-speaking areas as uh, traitor uh, areas and are, are largely responsible for the destructions of the towns in Ukraine. Uh, uh, if anything, uh, Russia is trying to defend these territories from being destroyed. Because um, as far as Russia is concerned, it is Russia. Yeah, at, the, at this point, it basically is. I mean, uh, let's face it; these these territories are never going to um, go back, right? Um, uh, it's just not going to happen because Ukraine just totally, uh, you know, carpet bombed them, basically, um, and did much of this uh, right. destruction of the infrastructure that uh, Zelensky is um, blaming on Russia, right? Uh, when everybody there knows what really happened, which was that Ukraine and a, a t extending uh, a civil war that had been going on uh, fairly heatedly since 2014, uh, when the U.S. back coup occurred, um, you know, there's been ongoing fighting, and it's just, of course, got much uh, more hardcore when Russia invaded. Um uh, but um, that's what the people there think, and uh, they had a vote where it was like 95% voted to, uh, you know, be part of Russia, you know, in these occupied, ter um, um, these Russian-speaking territories. Um, so, you know, it's just uh, uh, what we're being fed is just not reality, that these areas, um, uh, you know, I think that they're ethnically— um, there was much unity in Ukraine in the past, and it's only been recently that this sectarian kind of Russia against Ukraine thing has is, is really been a thing, uh, you know, because most people, I think even Zelensky was a, is a Russian speaker. He doesn't, you know, he keeps that quiet, uh, but he was mainly a Russian speaker, and it was just a polyglot, you know, inner, you know, they're pretty similar languages for one thing, and they're right next door to each other, Um 
you know, it's been kind of a natural thing and there wasn't this distinction. But now we're getting the the full on uh, Iraq war sectarian uh, Sunni against Shiite playbook uh, that NATO is and spearheaded by the U.S., uh, the masters of the whole um, uh, technique of uh, divide and conquer uh you know, that's what's really going on. And there's no way that this uh, um, Eastern Western Front thing is even occurring because Ukraine isn't even a real cohesive thing that you could say that uh, that uh, is part of Ukraine in any real sense anymore. And it, um, uh, it's at some point that's just going to have to, you know, of course, NATO is never going to uh, acknowledge that. But uh um, it's a pretty hopeless situation unless you're willing to just totally sacrifice, <laughs> you know, have that back to the nukes, nuke the whole area. Uh, you know, I, and I don't put it past a lot of these psychos like Blinken. And they think that's uh, should be an option, you know, uh, you know, might have to might have to get the nukes out. I mean, uh, well, then there's also the mentality that's expressed by the army general, uh, Miley, I, I think, is is his name. Uh, that basically uh, conditioning Americans for yet another long, drawn out war with lots of casualties. Which uh, I think that's absolutely. If if war isn't bad enough, the last thing that you want are wars that just go on and on and on. There's no clear prospect for winning there's no timeline there's no process or a sequence that this will happen then this and then this and then once the third this happens that means that we'll win right it, i mean to go back to world war ii we're gonna invade normandy we're gonna get into northern france we're going to plow through northern France, which was uh, occupied by the Germans. And then from there, we'll march through uh, the uh, through South Holland and then into uh, Germany. And then that's how we'll actually end the war. Right. There's no clear plan other than uh, eventually. Somehow the day will come when the Russians will say, this is too much. This American technology and, and know-how and the brave uh, fighting from the Ukraines is just too much. We never expected this. Let's get out of here. Blowing their whistle, retreat, retreat. <laughs> and they all go back to, to Russia. And then they say, okay, now we'll negotiate. Yeah, uh, over over a territory that's uh, uh, once Ukraine out, you know, this is never said uh, in these reports that the population wants Ukraine out of there. You know, they <laughs> they don't want to. So is it supposed to happen from those territories or it's going to sweep across to Moscow? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, you better have another route uh, that you're going to be marching into uh with your grand idea to be marching into Kiev and um, smoking out Putin uh, under the Kremlin, you mean there. Moscow. Moscow. Where did I say? Kiev, the Ukraine capital. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Your your route through we Kiev. We can always do what what I what I think would be the real savvy thing to do is 
let's assemble our our big team of of American NATO forces in Alaska, and Russians won't see this coming. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they're going to be focused on what's going on uh, in in the far western part of, of Russia. We'll go in through Mongolia, <laughs> and we'll come into into Russia and oh, go. Oh man, I've got the idea for you, Dave. Uh, you know, because of uh, the spearhead of our defensive global warming, we've melted off the polar cap, man. So we can just go straight go, over man. now. We can go straight across, man. Dave, you're going to get a promotion. <laughs> yeah, the see, Lieutenant Colonel David Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's perfect, man. Like, and 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 isn't I'm going to join the think spin? tank, David. I'm going to join the think tank with the Finnish hottie. Warming was bad, and yet you know the the Lord works in mysterious ways. We've been like good Americans, burning all this fossil fuel on these um, uh, non-American made uh, cars. And uh, because of that, we've got this uh, smooth sailing over what used to be the the Arctic Circle, but now it's just um, easily uh, passable. And and we'll just go over there. We'll go uh, right into Russia that way. And you were saying there's no plan. Come on, man. All right. Well, we should mention... um, yeah, as far as calamities and and of course, it just when you talk about just about any of these areas, of course, the U.S. or slash NATO, it's always the same thing, right? Uh, 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 to Libya, speaking of uh, war crimes, uh, uh, um, not doing too well. It was the most prosperous country and. on the African continent, and now it's way down there because we went in there and just totally blasted it to shit, um, turned into uh, chaos and um, uh, civil war. Our our specialty getting getting a, a situation where there's a civil war. You know, everywhere we go, uh, we're that's our specialty. Uh, so uh, poor Libya gets this flood and it kills upwards of six thousand people. Um, you know, yeah, I did hear yesterday that they think that maybe uh, not that many people uh, were, yeah, were kind of, kind of like Maui, where there was a long list of the missing, but uh, uh, they've winnowed it down. Yeah, 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 and um, so yeah, hey, that's good news. But you know, it 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 was a spotlight on uh, uh, Libya uh, when it happened. I wasn't. Uh, uh, Thinking like most people, oh, that poor place, they, it flooded. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, many deaths were uh, increased through the, um, you know, the uh, po- in poverty that we drove uh, the place into. But um, at least they're free to have slave markets and, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the market will prevail, David. Um, so you had... Uh, one last thing here. We've got uh, mass baptism at Auburn University. Are you talking about the Kentucky Auburn? or No, no. This is uh, Auburn University in, in Alabama. Alabama, okay. Yeah. Uh, and they mentioned the big uh, Asbury uh, revival that I think happened right. back in February. That's a, For some reason, I, it went across my head when you when you put that down there block it out no i thought asbury when you had auburn down there and i just that was in my head but you're saying there was a connection there right 
Well, that's what caught my attention when oh. I read about the Auburn thing. Okay. And I thought, wow, this is a lot like Asbury. And so it was a similar situation where just suddenly all these students at Auburn University were feeling the spirit of Jesus. And um, they they wanted to get baptized. But I guess the the uh, the baptism shop was closed. And so they they just went to a nearby lake. And so they got baptized in, in the lake. And the uh, the really glorious part of the whole story is that the football coach was there to uh, help out with the baptism. Oh, like, I don't know exactly what help out means. I mean, did he pour water into the lake? I mean, did he help uh, lower the person's head into the water? Like a football. Was he, was he the... <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I I baptized this football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were baptized by the football, the game-winning football from last year's championship, man. That that would that would be super Jesus zapping, you know, if you had that in there. Collision of this, these completely contradictory things. I mean, let's talk about love and Jesus and spirituality, and then have our a millionaire football coach who coaches this game of brutality and violence that really serves no justifiable purpose at a university other than it's just been there forever. It's incredibly popular and it's this tradition that's never going to go away, but it obviously not only doesn't contribute to anything educational, but is is a complete uh, distraction from any kind of uh, educational and intellectual influence. And now let's have our this uh, trance like uh, spellbound people like uh, it's uh, close encounters of the third kind. And everybody just feels like I'm having a vision. I've been drawn to this place. I have to get baptized. And it just seems like uh, a bunch of self-important uh, conformity. I'm feeling the spirit. I'm going to go get baptized. I want to be a part of this. There's something happening. I mean, yeah, you're, pretty nuts. You're gonna and, um, if you could just make it over that line, man. You're going uh, one step over the line, sweet Jesus. In that song. Uh, but one toke over the one line. One toke. Oh, and hey, all right. <laughs> hey, how about this for uh, uh, one grope? It cut out there, what? Uh, one grope over the line. Nice. <laughs> for my colleague and co-host, Lieutenant Colonel David Vernon Miller, <laughs> this is Dr. David W. Overby, and you've been listening to the Oblivion Podcast.